0: Welcome to What A Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Hello,
1: Rupert. G'day, Aaron. Great Wait. to be here, mate. Oh, same. You know, you just landed from the Giro, right? Yeah, yeah. Another, another Giro to tell you. Done and dusted. And when did you was, arrive? I got back on the Wednesday mornings. so just about 24 hours ago. Oh, wow. So just yeah. yesterday, eh? Yeah, yeah. No, but it was, uh, it, was it was great. Uh, Italy's a beautiful place to go to. It always is. But... The Giro is always a, a race full of surprises. And this year, more so than ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it uh, never ceases to amaze me. But it all makes for good content, good copy, and good storytelling later on.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, and, of course, obviously, we got to go right to the Giro with that, because there was a lot of things going on, especially around Stage 10, I believe, with one Australian Team Skyrider, Richie Port.
1: Yeah, uh, Richie, I mean, he had a he had a Giro full of problems, didn't he? You know, actually, even from the beginning when Sky, you know, had a pretty poor team time trial, losing 22 seconds. But then the time gaps got even worse, didn't they? I mean, he lost, uh, he got a two-minute penalty for that illegal wheel change with Simon Clark. And then uh, on uh, the stage, the sprint stage to Gisolo, there was that crash 3.3 kilometres out from the finish. And uh, Richie lost some time there. But more importantly, he got a lot of injuries. He hurt his hip, his knee, a pinched nerve in the neck. And then we saw the impact of that later on uh, in the time trial the next day. He just wasn't up for it, you know. And then another mountain stage later, uh, he uh, lost 27 minutes plus. And then on the rest day, the second rest day with a week to go, the team decided to pull him out.
0: And, of course, the internet blew up on what was called Portgate or the Wheel of Misfortune, so to speak. Yeah, yeah.
1: it was yeah, it was it was a wheel of misfortune, two wheels of misfortune for Richie. And I just think that what uh, you know, I think it was the bit, the wisest thing was to was to pull him from the race because the third week is in a Grand Tour. That's where you do most damage to yourself as an athlete, you know. And uh, even if you are fit and healthy, that's where the potential for most damage is going to be made. And Richie, at that state, you know, I think he had to concentrate on healing or recovering and healing and, and trying to get ready for the Tour de France.
0: Of course, you know, he he took the wheel from from his compatriot mm-hmm. not a teammate Simon Clark who had who was in the the leader's jersey after stage 4 um it- Obviously, a lot of people were talking about the UCI missed a great opportunity because of the, the sportsmanship that was displayed. A one Eurosport analyst, former pro rider Juan Antonio Fletcher, he said, "Look, he goes, it wasn't it wasn't sportsmanship. It was it would have been sportsmanship if it was if it was maybe Contador or Aru that did did the favor, but it was more so of, of mateship." What's
1: your take? Look, I, I think um, uh, look the, the law was there. They did breach the law, you know, and uh, and. When, when everyone calmed down a bit, you know, Richie understood that as well, and so did Simon Clark. But I think that the point that I sort of... Uh, look, I agree that there's a, the law was a law, but what I felt that the race jury, the UCI race jury, should have been able to do was to exact their discretionary powers to at least reconsider the situation. When they said there was no room for appeal whatsoever, um, you know, I just don't think that's right. I think there should be some leeway where there can at least be an appeal which allows for some voice of reason to look at the situation in the aftermath of that initial penalty being handed down. At least that way they can see that. And there was a great opportunity for the sport to, to come out of it looking really good. It's interesting, the, the Giro d'Italia uh, Twitter feed initially um, you know, mentioned how this was a great, this is what sport's all about, the Giro's all about. And then uh, obviously the UCI race jury. Had you know stood fast on its position, and it should be remembered you know race organisers aren't the ones to blame. They have got the use. UC- or oh, the race organisers are not the ones who who enforce the penalty. It's the UCI race jury. So it's not the race organisers who should be you know held to blame or made accountable or or whatever for for the rights or wrongs of that decision. It's the UCI race jury. But at the end of the day, Richie Port and Simon Clark um, made the wrong mistake, and I just think it shows you've got to know all, all the laws of the game.
0: Now, obviously. For those of us back over here in Australia, unlike yourself, who was on the ground there at the Giro, um, how disappointed was Richie? Because on TV and across in the interviews, he came across with a lot of class and, and with that typical Tasmanian smile.
1: Yeah, look, I, I, you know, Richie was uh, privately disappointed. I mean, you know, that, that time trial, I said he didn't, he, his intent was to do a good time trial. He did show a picture on the Twitter with his uh, Australian champions jersey, saying something like inspiration for today. You know, he was, you know, he was motivated to do it. But he said he quickly realised he didn't have the legs, um, and the decision for him to withdraw wasn't taken lightly. You know, they, you know, he did indicate to uh, myself after the sta- after the time trial, that he was thinking about the uh, about withdrawing. Um, but that would require some serious decision making and consultation with David Brails with the team principal and uh, Tim Kerrison, his coach and it was interesting that it wasn't until that Monday morning oh, the Sunday night the night before the second time trial late at night at 11 o'clock Richie was officially told by the team that they've decided to pull him so it wasn't a decision they made quickly but it was taken with a uh, lot of consideration, and I think at the end of the day, the, the right decision was made.
0: Well, it's definitely not the last that uh, we'll hear from Richie Port. Oh, nor, definitely not. And nor will it be the last that we'll talk about the Giro on today's show, mm-hmm. because you've got some interviews lined up that you recorded while you were over in Italy, and uh, we'll be getting to those later in the show. We've got a jam-packed show for those of everyone listening for the first time look we've got uh, it's what a ride and, and and basically it's
1: based off one of your books yeah just a, the book I wrote about uh, my years of the pursuit of an Aussie chasing the Tour de France or chasing Tour de France victory and got to say there was a point there I thought it wasn't going to happen but two eleven two thousand eleven Cadell Evans came up with the goods and uh you know fantastic year that was I remember reporting on that that was a great uh, experience but the whole journey's been experienced, and when you say "what a ride," it has been an incredible journey. And I just think "what a ride" about the journey in your life, journey in sport, and everything. It's, it's it's you know it's it's a fabulous experience, even with the lows. You know, you get the highs and the lows, but it's great. And of course, we're not just going to talk about cycling on this show. No, no, no. We're no, going no. to talk a little bit
0: about everything. If if it's a bike, a board, a ski, uh, uh, anything, we're going to cover it. If you run it, bike it, swim it. If you're on it, <laughs> we're on it. We're on it. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're going to cover a little bit of everything. Obviously, we're also huge fans and, 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 and journalists in and, and, and the sport of triathlon as well. We're going to have and talk about triathlon later on the show. I think we're going to have first off the com publisher and editor Phil Rockner. On the show, and he's going to talk a little bit about uh, the state of affairs for the road to Rio, and a little bit about the controversy around the the Triple Crown series, is what they're calling it, with the, with challenge. So it's going to be an interesting show. We're going to have more of that when we come back from break. In the meantime, uh, stay tuned for more. What a ride! From break, you're listening to What A Rye with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of, of a time out and just kind of introduce our program or producer, Andy Brown. Andy, welcome to the show. Come oh, on thank down. you
2: very much, guys. Yeah, pleasure being yeah. here. The first. The debut show. Absolutely. You, you're bit a, of the, a
0: ride. You're bit of the brains behind the, the beauty here. Oh, I wouldn't call it that. <laughs> <laughs> what, the beauty or the Oh, uh, Both. <laughs> yeah.
2: I have a face for radio.
0: Oh, I think we all do. Yeah, I think that's why we we're on this the, show. And, yeah. and Matt Keenan and, and Scott McGorry have their own shows on TV. <laughs> so well, that's right. Have,
2: yeah, not body enough for TV.
0: No, exactly. You know, you know you've got a uh, uh, tell us a little bit about Australian Broadcast Media, how it started. Oh,
2: wow, yeah. Well, uh, Australian Broadcasting Media really is only been set up as a company maybe seven years but before that there was three of us involved as uh, as me of course a, a guy called Sean, Sean Ison, and he's been in radio and writing software for radio since he left school and uh, there's a guy called Keith, Keith Ashton and he was uh, on the pirate radio ships in the English Channel, and he was off the coast of Israel on the Voice of Peace. There was a movie about that. wasn't There was, was it? yes, the boat that rocked. He the was actually on the oh, boat yeah, that rocked. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, was yeah. On that. he was the Good Egg.
0: He oh, was called wow. the Good
2: Egg on there, yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, he's passed away. But we still have his voice, and we use it on radio, so he's still with us.
0: Oh, fantastic! Yeah. So
2: now, yeah. But we now have. We started with uh, uh, one listener. That was me, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now we've grown to we have. 36 FM radio stations around Australia.
0: More than 200 digital.
2: More than than 200 digital, yes. yes. And of course our
0: show is available also on on demand
2: via iTunes as well. well. Yes, and it'll be on our uh, Radio Sydney site. Absolutely. So you can download it any time you want from there. We'll be playing you as well, get your own show. So hopefully this is going to be something... But well, it is going to be something, uh, start something large, because we like you guys on all yeah. the time. What kind, of, what kind of music yeah. do you listen to? What's your, what's your bag? Oh, good heavens, where do we start? So where do we stop, really? Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in all types of music. I don't think there's any one particular genre that, uh, that I'd adhe- adhere to, uh, and I prefer above anything else. But just for instance, on Radio Sydney, we have 250 genres of music. So it, I started off like in uh, house music and dance music and Northern Soul music. Yeah, absolutely. And Tamlin Motown, yeah. where it all started from there, I suppose. Let- and uh, anything linked to that if it's a toe tapper i like it yeah,
0: speaking of, speaking of toe tappers now i'm a i'm a huge depeche mode fan right, yes, that british yes. electronic music yes, from the 80s yes, yes. and yes. i'm afraid that my itunes playlist reflects that i i almost quit listening to the radio in 1990 right i'm yes. telling my age there a bit but um huge Seems fan pop. absolutely huge fan of this new order joy division the yeah. cure but uh recently while roop was away at the giro we had four straight nights sold out i didn't didn't manage to get any tickets for Morsey, former yes, lead singer of the yes. Smiths.
2: Now, there's some bad reviews. Well, I heard, yeah, I read a review and they weren't very keen on him. They thought he was a bit flat, rather dull, you know, but uh, hey, you know, how old is he now? You know, yeah. some of the fire's gone, obviously. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, 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 it's I'm hard to reviews, think about reviews. poverty when you're
0: a very rich man, isn't it? No, you Absolutely. Know? So, so you, you think bad reviews are a good review, Ruth? That's what they say, isn't it? Yeah, well, but, yeah, yeah. bad news is <laughs> <and> good news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he was at the Opera House. I had a chance to catch Morrissey back in 2000. I'm going to get this wrong now, and I'm sure people on Twitter will correct me. But <laughs> I, I had a chance to see him in Austin, Texas. And I want to say 2009, 2008, 2009. And it was a small venue there, and it was a it was an absolutely fantastic show. I, I feel that they just don't make music that that way anymore. No. And, and I sound like my dad, and now I realize that I am, I'm old man now. Right? I say yes. Like that. Moz.
1: So. Remember, it's called Moz. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. Was, he,
2: was he with the Smiths then? Was it the Smiths or was it just Morris? Oh, it was just Morrissey?
0: Yeah, oh, he hasn't
1: yes. been with the Smiths since no,
0: a, oh, like, yeah twenty yeah. years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah.
1: So is, yeah he rose to prominence in the eighties.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he um, was he was fantastic. You lose,
1: you lose a lot with. Really? What do you, what do you listen to? Oh, you yeah, know, I mean, I'm a very open minded, broad minded man of the world, is what I'm, you I'm are. I'm a man of love, yeah. a person of love. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, as a matter of fact, world peace.
0: Yeah, because you, you're a big yeah. Barry White fan.
1: No, I do like my Barry White. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> you do, I do. Don't knock it, mate.
0: No, no, not at all, not <laughs> yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, you know, you actually
1: um, train to Barry
0: White? Is that,
1: no? You, no, I don't train to bury White. I need something a bit more sort of, you know. upbeat. Upbeat. Actually, I don't, I don't. to be honest, when I train, I don't listen to music. No. No, no, no. Nothing no. at all. Because when you, when you when you race, you don't listen to music, do you? So yeah. you got to, you know, you've got to be ready to, to race as you, you got to train as you race. No, absolutely. You
0: know yeah. Well, I agree with that. Listen, and, and we're going to take a, a short break. We're going to go back to sport when we get back. back to What A Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Uh, Rup, you know, while you've been away at the Giro, I've been holding the fort down here uh, in Sydney. Everything is under control. Uh, I got back from the Tour of Turkey, the 51st Presidential Tour of Turkey, in fact, and uh, have been laying low, been watching the Giro, watching you on Eurosports Facebook page with your, with your nice little video clips, and, and, and you know, it, you did a great job.
1: Oh, thanks, mate. Uh, they're on the uh, Fairfax Media site as well. Oh, fantastic! Just, you know. yeah, but anyway, yeah. no, it was good fun. It was a nice little. I mean, uh, it's a nice opportunity. The Jiro goes to some great places, and uh, it's a nice way of being able to show that not just that you're there, but it gives a bit of uh, the the atmosphere of 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 the background of, of where you are and, and 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 the scene setter, I suppose, for the stories that you're that you're writing.
0: And we've already talked about it. you just. Returned from Italy yesterday, uh, back to Sydney. I leave tomorrow morning for the tour to Korea, and uh, it's uh was it? I should know this, but I think it's a UCI Asia Tour 2.1. Yeah, 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 yeah. 2.1 yeah, race. Yeah, yeah. Um, not a lot of not a lot of big teams there. In fact, only one World Tour team, but that World Tour team being Green Edge.
1: Yep, and it's uh, you know, it's an important race. It's an important race for those riders. In that team, one of whom is Caleb Ewan, I understand.
0: Uh, absolutely, Caleb will be there. You know, it's been an interesting uh, first year for Caleb as a pro, Neo Pro for, the, for Orca Green Edge. He did start with the team last year, late last year, but this is his first full season. You know, we talked to him, I guess, prior to the season, and and we were under the impression, and he said this, and I think Matty White, the, the team sports director, he said the same thing. They were only expecting or wanting about five or so wins out of him this year, no pressure. He got those wins early on. Uh, we, we saw him, you know, get some of those wins, obviously at the, the Herald Sun Tour, and then I, I caught up with him and, and, and had a chance to see those wins in Langkawi. Um, since then, it's been a bit sparse. You caught up with him uh, right before the Tour of Turkey.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, at that point, he was he was he was struggling a bit because he was saying how you know, like for example, he did. Uh, Tour of Catalonia, which was a world tour race and, and he he, uh, he said he was having trouble with the speed of the of the Peloton on the climbs and and I think he was feeling the accumulated fatigue from all that as well. Um, but I think going into the season he knew it was gonna be like this. He may not have known exactly what it was gonna be like, but he knew it was gonna be a, a challenging year on that front. And I do know that the, the Green Age, Oracle Green Edge have styled a programme for him which is gonna be which is gonna him at the cold face of, of uh, what it's really about but also have a balance of races where he can go in there with a view of winning races and we've seen him get close to a couple of you know to Cav on first stage of um, Turkey, Turkey. Um, and then later in Norway he got up close to Kristoff um, um, uh, once you know so but then he tends to sort of fade out again so I think that effort is obviously uh, you know to back up again you've got to have that sheer strength and in all fairness, he's what, 20 years old? Yeah, he's not even 21, yeah, yeah, is yeah, he? I
0: mean, yeah. he's still a, a, a young rider. Um, Very much so. And, and and also, in all fairness to Orca Green Edge, mm. he's got a new, he's got a, you know, he's. He's a new sprint train. You know, these guys are all coming together for the first time. He's got he's got a veteran like Adam Blyth, mm. uh, the, the British rider. He's got guys like Lee Howard and and, yeah. and, and the Dutch rider Magnus Court, who's an amazing talent yeah. in his own right as a sprinter. Um, so we've got to give them time. You know, you can't compare them obviously to to Marcel Kittel's train or an Andre Greipel or obviously a Cavendish Canyon.
1: No, no, exactly, exactly. And and I just think it's um, you know, I think. God, this year, we have to give Caleb a, you know, a bit of breathing space to just find out what it's like, and if he does dip in form or dip in in uh, in morale, I doubt he's morale. He's a positive sort of guy, but if he does, he's got to discover that for himself. That's how you get your bookends of emotions and experience. You've got to you've got to feel the struggle and the hurt and the disappointments to get a grasp of 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 the success and then appreciate the excess, the success that you do get. And I think he will get it in years to come
0: I'll tell you what you only have to spend about five minutes with Caleb Ewan to know that he's got a lot of confidence yeah. and he's a very well poised young man now that being said could it be a lot of pressure on him at a race like Korea when he's the only world tour team there on paper he should win but he's not the only sprinter there uh, Pack Cycling another Australian team a Pro Conti team they've got a young man
1: yeah vata Whippet and he's been doing pretty well this year and uh, you know Pack are going to be going there you know Expecting to win as well, there will be pressure on them to to win. They've got to step up and and perform, and um, and there will be pressure on Caleb. So this is you know, career is going to be one of those races where he's going to have to go in there um, carrying that load of expectation. So there will be pressure on him in this race. When we were talking before. We we're talking about the more that the, the the whole season of not putting too much pressure on him, but he's got to have pressure points, and career is really important for that. And I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how he's rebounded from. Uh, you know, the bigger races have been doing in Europe for, for Korea.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what, and of course, uh, Walter Hill have a great lead-out guy as well, mm-hmm. an Australian Olympian Graham Brown, who's confirmed to be there as well. Also be looking forward to the Continental team, uh, the New Zealand-based Continental team, Avanti Racing. I'm a, uh, I follow the Avanti guys. I'm a big fan of what they do, especially Andrew Christie-Johnston and, and Steve Price. For those of you know the people who aren't aware, this is a this is a storied franchise dating back to the early two thousands from Tasmania actually, and uh, they've had some great talent come through those ranks. I mean, obviously one of the guys we mentioned earlier in the show, one Richie Port, mm-hmm. uh, then of course Nathan Haas, uh, guys from uh, canada yeah. Garmin. We've got Nathan Earl, Port's teammate at Sky. Uh, there's been some great talents come through there. Yeah, you know,
1: Steveland Hof. It's it's been great for Australian cycling. Or well, now, it's, as you say, New Zealand cycling. Yeah. But either way, that team being there, it's been a, a great uh, development pathway for for those guys who've, who've got gigs. And you know, I mean, obviously they don't all succeed over there. They do. Some of them do come back. But uh, the point is, they get that opportunity to go. Because I think once you're over there, it's up to yourself to to whether you, I wouldn't say succeed or fail, but whether you um, make a fist of it or whether you feel that. Your future isn't really there in Europe, and you come back. So I've, I've, I've never got anything um, but admiration for anyone who will give it a crack over in Europe. So the guys who do come back, you know, it's not that they've failed. It's just that they've it's been a reality check, and they feel their futures here back in Australia or at another level of, of team, and that's fine because it's such a hard sport anyway at any level.
0: Absolutely. We we talked about Avanti having a, a good talent. Back in the past, they have a lot of talent now as well. Uh, two, two of the top names that come to, to, the, to the, my mind is obviously the reigning, I guess defending reigning national champion or national road series champion, Joe Cooper, but also one Patrick Bevan, who has shown he has got a lot of horsepower. I understand he's pushing about 450 watts, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. a massive amount of, of wattage yeah. for a young man. And then they also have young triathlete turned roadie, another Kiwi, and Tom Davison, and yeah. uh, we'll get into triathlon later. Let's go back a little bit to Orica GreenEdge. We were talking about Maddie White's expectations of Caleb Ewan. You had a chance to catch up with Maddie at the Giro.
1: Yeah, I had a good chat to Matt about, um, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a, a spiel about what you know how the Giro was, was going for Orica GreenEdge and, and how it went. And I've got to say, you know, it was, it was a pretty successful Giro. It obviously started well with uh, four days in the pink jersey, two stage wins, um... You know, Michael Matthews went well. The team time trial, they lived up to the expectation as favourites and jagged that win. Uh, and I thought it also interesting that in the third week, Orica GreenEdge um, had a presence, not a dominating presence, but their objective was to try and get their climbers, uh, Peter Weening, Simon Clark, I guess their medium mountain climbers, and also Esteban Chavez, uh, their Colombian guy, you know, into moves in that last week. And they achieved that. They were all in moves in that last week. Uh, none of those moves stayed away because the teams of Astana and Tinkoff-Saxo were chasing all the breaks back, but uh, they did that, and the Giro obviously ended with Luke Durbridge getting second place in that last stage, where him and the Belgian rider Case kept the, the, the peloton at bay, which was a pretty interesting move by them. But um, Matt White, yeah, I spoke to him also just about himself and his, you know, his job as a sports director, which is pretty much like a head coach of a football team, and. We spoke a bit about that and how he felt uh, he adapted to that job after being a domestic or a helper in cycling, Um, and also some of the uh, lessons he's learnt from other sports, one of whom was the NRL Roosters coach, uh, Trent Robinson, who uh, came on board in his car at the two down under, and um, I know they're very good mates, they've been mates for a while, and uh, robo he has a good interest in cycling as well so uh so we had a chat to him about that so it's interesting little piece i think well let's go to that interview now Rupe. all the way what a ride i'm talking with matt white the head sports director of australia's oracle greenwich team matt thanks a lot for coming on to what a ride um we're talking at the Giro d'italia uh, but very soon the Tour de France is coming up um, I was just wondering from your job as head sports director How do you sort of deal from the objectives and the goals And the outcomes of one Grand Tour At the same time you've got to shift across pretty quickly To another mindset for the Tour de
3: France Yeah, well, we, we will use some riders from the Giro at the Tour de France But we've also got another group of guys preparing uh, With separate goals and separate lead-ins to, for the Tour as well So you know, cycling is a very dynamic uh, sport And we've got 27, 26, 27 riders. We do 200-plus days of racing. So, yeah, it's all about the planning, and that started last year.
1: Obviously with Oracle Greenage, I mean, it's been a quite a ride since its uh, start in 2012. Um, when you look back on those uh, three years now, uh, how do you sort of feel the team's evolved and, and, and where can it go to in the future?
3: Yeah, I think we, we definitely have evolved uh, in a, on a lot of fronts. Uh, we're very, obviously very proud of where we've, where we've come from and what we've achieved so far, but I think we're evolving more. Into a, a team that can, in the, in the future, target three-week stage races. We can obviously, with the Yates brothers and Esteban Chavez, we're already you know, po- we're on the verge of podium World Tour events with those young guys. And yeah, you know, we've got the likes of Albasini and Gerens who and Matthews, who already have you know, won some very big one-day races and, uh, and some, won some and Peter Winning have won some great World Tour events already. Obviously,
1: with with your job and your experience, uh, the role that you had as as a cyclist was as a domestique. Um, I guess there's a lot of the uh, experiences you had from that job that sort of helped you be equipped to do do what you do now because you've got an understanding of everybody's role within a team.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, if you look at uh, the successful sports directors in history most of those guys haven't been the big champions because a lot, a lot of big champions they don't understand or can't relate to younger riders who are struggling uh, so I think the riders who are the domestics or the people the middlemen they can relate to a 21 year old neopro who's going through tough times in his first year or two or well, they can relate to a big champion because they've worked directly worked with those guys and those sort of personalities so it definitely helped uh, my transition from a rider to, to my role on this side of the fence
1: What about with um you know, with the Tour de France, we often see the glamour, we see the mountains, the crowds, the victory uh, by for stage wins or even for the overall, All the, all the and the circus of the whole event. But, you know, at the other end of the race, there's a lot of human suffering, emotionally and physically. Um, you know, you've probably experienced that yourself, and I uh, just wonder if you can give a, you know, an example or two of, of something that sort of left an imprint in your mind that still helps you, you know, bookend that, uh, that feeling about the Tour de France.
3: Yeah, I, I I enjoyed three-week stage races. I think they're a different beast on their on their own. Uh, the one-day races, there's a, there's a different type of pressure. Uh, you, well, you've got to be ready on that day and those for those four or five hours. The one-week stage races, again, the, the pressure is spread out over the five days. Whereas the Tour de France, and especially the Tour de France, it's the best way to explain the Tour de France. It's it's a classic every day. Uh, and I love the fatigue and the challenge of getting through those races and uh, I suppose I like in passing on that enthusiasm to, to my riders and uh, we've got a very tight-knit group and I think we achieve very very high standards because we are so tight and we've got a similar focus and unlike some teams, we, we can... We can change who the leader is, we can can adapt to uh, different plans, different scenarios, and we've got the egos in our team that the boys will commit to whatever plan is given to them.
1: I guess that that helps a lot of the riders sort of be honest with you and their teammates to say, if they're a leader and they say, look, I'm not up to it today, or they feel they've let the team down, they'll put their hand up... um, Whereas, you know, and other riders who may not uh, necessarily always get an opportunity in other teams, they may get one in Orica Greenwich.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's uh, that's one of our strengths. And that's why it has become a very attractive team for a lot of good riders wanting to come here because they can see that they, everyone gets a chance on this team.
1: Now your job as head sports director, ostensibly, you know, for, for a general audience, it's like the, the head coach, head coach of a football team. I was wondering, do you take any, is there anything you learn or you garner from uh, any particular football coach or, or coaches in other sports that sort of uh, you're
3: able to put into practice? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a sports fan in general. Uh, I love sport in general. I follow lots of different sports. But yeah, I think when I'm trying to learn things all the time uh, and I've got a few friends in different sports and it's interesting to sort of pick their on how they manage certain situations, and likewise, uh, asking me because every sport is a little bit different, and ours is certainly a very dynamic sport the way it's run, the way the, the logistics the amount of changes of programs within the riders and staff but yeah i think you never stop learning and when you when you think you've mastered it all i think that's when you get, get overtaken i know at the two down under you had
1: a, a certain trent robinson in your uh, in your car the coach of, of the roosters uh, he was on at the two down under to try and you know learn stuff for himself did he pass on any sort of knowledge to you that you've been able to put into practice in the last couple of months?
3: Yeah, look, uh, uh, Robbo took me around uh, the roosters uh, their setup up uh, last in the off-season and uh, I invited him down to we Under. We're, we're mates, we've known each other for a long time. And, yeah, it's, he wanted to see how we do things from the inside and likewise uh, the roosters. Can you elaborate a bit more? I mean, a couple of inside stories there. Uh, nothing that comes to mind, nothing that comes to mind.
1: And just lastly, Matt, um, uh, we'll come back to you, you know, later on in, uh, in the show another day, but just a quick word about uh, for the Tour de France. Um, you'd like to get the yellow jersey stage wins. I realise it's not a simple thing to do. Um, where are you tracking with a view to the team evolving into a, having, being a team that could uh, support a Grand Tour rider?
3: Yeah, I think we're developing well. I think uh, this year it's, uh, our goal is to win stages. Uh, and that's very clear this year, but it's also about developing our young guys uh, so that in one, two, no matter, no matter how many years it is, that they are ready for, for that big challenge. OK, Matt. Well, thanks a lot for being on What A Ride. It's, uh, it's
1: been great to sort of see this team, Oracle Edge develop to where it is, and we're really looking forward to some exciting times ahead, and um, during the Tour de France, we'll stay in touch, OK? Thank you very much. My pleasure. Well, there you heard. Matt White. I'm tell- I can tell you what, anybody who knows Matt White will know that you can sit there all day and talk to him. And he'll talk all day too, but uh, all good stuff.
0: No, absolutely. Always insightful hearing from uh, Matty White, and thank you for sharing with that, route. That was my pleasure. Well, let's go to commercial break. When we come back, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to we're gonna talk a bit about triathlon. Don't worry. We're going to come back to the Giro <laughs> a bit later, but we are going to talk a little bit about triathlon, and uh, we've got a couple of special guests coming on. We're going to try to get them on the phone now. And uh, when we come back... In the meantime, uh, stay tuned for more What A Ride. Welcome back to What A Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. It's great to be, I'm enjoying
1: this ride, I can tell you for sure. Yeah, it's fantastic, yeah.
0: Rupert. Uh, i tell you what, it's uh, you've got to be glad to be back home in Sydney, though, after a long work trip, being away. Do you ever get tired of being on the road?
1: No, I love being on the road. Yeah? I really do. I mean, it's just, I mean, uh, you know, sport's such a great, you know, industry to be involved in, and it takes you to so many fantastic places, particularly bike races and triathlons, you know, in, and, uh, but saying that, you know, Sydney's a beautiful Sydney to fly back into. It oh, really is. really uh, is.
0: Absolutely. And I had, a, I had a chance to enjoy a little bit of Sydney last night. I got a chance to go to the uh, Govinda's, isn't it, Andy? Is it Govinda's restaurant in Darlinghurst? That's right, yes. Yeah. Do they
2: have a Sydney menu? They, they yeah. do,
0: actually. So upstairs is this very uber cool, edgy, vegetarian buffet. I'm not sure exactly what style of food. I couldn't decipher if it was Indian or what, but it was definitely vegetarian. And they're known for that. But downstairs, they have a what's called a movie room mm. and a cinema. And, they, and instead of the traditional cinema seats, they're cushions, cushions. lounges. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Have,
1: have you guys been? No, I haven't. Well, what about the, the Lotus Room as well? Yeah, I've never been there. Yeah, the yoga and, uh, yeah, well,
0: Maybe I'm not enjoying
1: Sydney like I thought.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now, now, Andy, you've been to the...
2: I've been to to, been to A long, long time ago. Uh, it must be good. heavens That's been going quite a few years, at least yeah, 20 years. It's quite popular. Now, I've been around the yeah, corner yeah.
0: to the Victoria Room. Which is quite swanky, a bit of a kind of a nineteen twenties feel to it, or mm. or should I say a, a Victorian era era feel actually. <laughs> but that being said, I, I was there last night for a launch night or a fundraising night for uh, a women's and all women's team called the Velaroos. Now the Velaroos are four Australian women, and uh, which is. I think uh, I think one's from Ireland and one's from South Africa. But we, it, it's neither here nor there. No. <laughs> but they're all residents of Australia.
1: If they're, they're facts. You just don't worry Absolutely, about Absolutely. We don't
0: worry about facts here. Um, and they were there because they're going to race across America. Wow. And that's at one epic race. And we're talking 3,000 miles, over 4,800 kilometers. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's, it's uh, across 12 states. It's from uh, Los Angeles or California. To Maryland, mm. um, the winners you can do it either solo, male or female, teams, mixed or all one you know one gender, and it's teams of two, four or eight, I believe. These women are going to do it uh, again, the first all Australian team to do mm. it. Um, one of their team riders, Sarah Matthews, who unfortunately wasn't able to to make it last night, she is uh, she's done it before. She actually did it last year on a mixed team. Uh, She's got a bit of unfinished business. She's going to come back this year and do it. She's recruited some girls, and
1: uh, it's going to be one heck of a ride. Yeah, you know? I mean, I think it's uh, incredible. I mean, I remember the, that event when I first started covering cycling. I used to read about it in in the old winning magazine, which I ended up editing a bit later. But I mean, so it's you know it's a, an event with a lot of history. But uh, and they they ride right through the night as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, around the clock
1: on open roads yeah. too. I mean, there's, they, they've got to you know address issues of security and all that sort of stuff. It's Quite a phenomenal event.
0: And, and for those of you listening that aren't familiar with Race Across America, please do yourself a favor and download, buy, whatever kids do these days to, to watch a movie, Bicycle Dreams. T- 2009, Stephen Arbock, the, pr- the director, mm-hmm. the producer, and uh, it's a gripping, thrilling, very. it's an amazing movie. This is a dangerous race, Rube. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's not any support cars other than for race officials. The, the, the riders have support vehicles mm-hmm. and staff. But uh, it's, a, it's an open road across the United States, and, and, and unfortunately, riders
1: have died. Yeah, and, and it's uh, totally understanding that they, they don't shy away from the fact that it is dangerous. I mean, to, to say otherwise would, wouldn't, you know, would be irresponsible. I mean, they, are, you know, they openly say that it is a dangerous event. They have to be careful for their own security. And interesting, uh, you know, when they come into towns and everything, they've got to abide by the law of the road. And uh, so I think there's a big message there, too, about riding responsibly and safely. We've got Julianne Hazlitt on the line,
0: one of the Belarus. Julianne, welcome to What A Ride. Hi, thank you. Hey, you know, I had a chance to, to meet you guys last night in Sydney for one of your fundraisers, and it, was a, it had a movie night and a beautiful dinner. Um, after watching that uh, movie, I've got to ask you, what are you guys thinking I mean, how, what? No, I know the distance is about three thousand miles. What's that in kilometers? Do you know yet? Uh, Four thousand eight hundred and fifty-eight. And you know it by heart, don't? You? Right down to the to the last one. <laughs> yeah, and then we've got another fifteen kilometers from the end, of the official end of the race and the time. Now, I, I've got to ask you. Now, you guys are the first all-female Australian team, correct? That's correct. Now, Julianne, you don't sound Australian. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> now, listen, just um, introduce... I'm originally from Northern Ireland, but I've lived here for 15 years. Oh, fantastic. Introduce... Now, who, who else is on the team? Um, we have Natasha Horne, uh, Sarah Matthews, and the Nicole Stanners. And how did you guys come together? Well, you know, it, it, of course you guys are triathletes. It would only take a triathlete to, to do something so crazy as to race uh, uh, across the, the United States. Roop, you're a, you're a triathlete. Uh, what do you think about this? Would you do it?
1: Oh, no way. Well, we would like to know, though, Julianne, is how, how you actually uh, you know, train for, for this. I mean, obviously, you've, you've got endurance. You're endurance athletes, but to, to get ready for almost 5,000 kilometers, I mean, how do, you, how do you know that you've done the training and what training is involved? What are some of the um, like you haven't done, you said Sarah's done it, but what are some of the inherent challenges that, that are out there? Obviously the distance is and the climbing is gonna be hard. So making sure that we don't take a time anywhere. Um
0: And of course, you guys are going to cross several mountain ranges, including right off the bat, you'll, you'll be going over to the Rockies, but then uh, later on, you'll also go over to the Appalachian Mountains, which aren't as high, but, but perhaps a bit steeper at points, correct? They are. And what kind of bikes do you take for this? Is it are you are taking a time trial bike, or do you take a traditional road bike with maybe some aero bars? So we're, we're taking, we all have to S I um for road bikes, and then uh, because we're all traffic with various different types of bikes. Oh, fantastic. And, and, and
1: you also, you, you, you ride into the night as well, don't you? Absolutely. So we ride 24-7, mm. um, or what we hoped would be seven days, and hopefully get from one to the other
4: in that time. And we have a nine days as the
0: cutoff, so... We don't make it in 7 days we still have another 2 days to pay and, and to put this in perspective people have this is a this is a very dangerous ride as well i mean you know people have died on this route correct absolutely yes yeah there have been a number of deaths because the, the, the roads are not blocked off this is not no. you know you guys are, are riding with the traffic the entire width of the of the of the, of the, of the country
1: That's correct so how how do you um, how do you put in place the security for you there yeah, And, and what happens when you come into a town and there's a red light there? Do you sneak through or do you... No, <laughs> Oh, that's a good thing. Now, that's a thing,
0: yeah. now, now Julianne, this is not a, a, a inexpensive outing. This is you guys are are taking the, the four riders, but you're also taking a a, a pretty good, a massive support crew, and and you can let us know those numbers. But wh- how much are, are you looking at? And then again, maybe tell us how the the, the listeners can you know uh, log in or or find your fundraising page and help support and follow you guys. Yeah.
4: And one RV. Um, so, And then we obviously have supplies and food and
0: hotels at either end uh, for the crew uh, to stay in. So all up, it would be about $100,000. And of course, you, slightly, slightly more than that. And, and, and people can log on where and find you guys and help follow and donate.
4: One is Tour Cure Australia, helping to find tours and educate people around cancer. And the other is the Amy Gillett Foundation, which is around cycle safety in Australia. And uh, so those are both, those charities are both really important to us. And if you would like to donate,
0: Oh, fantastic, and, Julianne,
1: oh, just, just one, like just—I I guess there's some other Aussie teams as well. Some other, other Aussies Do you, do you know? Um, is there a sort of a, a unity beto- between all those teams, or is it, or you just pretty much? <laughs>
0: is there any prize money in this thing, or are you guys just doing it for the love of the sport? Just doing it for the love of the sport. Oh, fantastic. Well, hey, listen, good luck to you guys, and, and thanks for joining us. I'm sure yeah. we'll we'll catch up. From I understand, you guys have a film crew um, following you guys as well, correct? Well, you said it, Julianne, not us. But anyway, <laughs> thank, thank you so much for joining us. All here, the and, best, Julianne. And good luck. Thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome back to What A Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Uh, Rupert, you know, we're still talking triathlon coming out of the break now, and I want to continue the last segment where we were talking to, to Julianne Haslett, one, uh, one quarter of the Velourous, uh, an all-women Australian team that's going to go and race the, the race across America. They're former triathletes. I mentioned before the break that, God, the triathletes they must have a screw loose. But that being said, it was all tongue-in-cheek because we both have triathlon very near and dear to our heart. Yeah,
1: also, I've always thought you had a screw loose, Aaron.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. You would be the first time.
1: I get that on yeah. Twitter every day. Yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. I, I you know, like nice change of pace. Always, isn't it? You yeah. Know, and um, uh, you know, the sport's really interesting because it's going through a lot of changes at the moment. You yeah. know, both at Olympic distance and also at Ironman distance, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a constantly evolving sport, and, and, and it's so um, there's so many bits and parts to it. Yeah. From from the from the equipment to the race components to the how the people race and the tactics and strategies. And, and while we love to participate and cover the sport of triathlon, probably no one has their finger on the
0: pulse of the sport better than our next guest, Phil Rogna, the editor and publisher of First Off the Bike. Phil, welcome to the show. Good guys, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely! Listen, uh, a lot going on in the world of triathlon. Uh, you know, catch us up. The L- London just happened. We've got the Road to Rio is about to start. I mean, we're, we're just a little more than a year away. I mean, you're on top of the sport. First off, the bike dot com. Uh, what's your take on on the the landscape of the sport?
5: Uh, sure. No, he just wins for fun. There's not a lot of science behind what he does. He just goes and beats people up athletically. Uh, he's still the benchmark. Javier Gomez, of course, from Spain. No, he's a good racer, but, you know, there, there's something about that Brownlee guy. When he gets it right, he just gets it right. He has the, the courses dialed in. He has the training dialed in, and then he seems to be, again, unstoppable. I mean, I don't think it'll be as easy as London, uh, was the last Olympics, but it's hard to see, especially with the Rio bike course being a little bit more difficult than uh, London, it going be hard to see him getting beaten. And the women's side, we're seeing the emergence of this US team, this, uh, this team that's been uh, coached by uh, Australians, which is great to see uh, Australians coaching other teams to victory. Um, and this women's team has just taken all before it. And uh, the second time in London, they've clean swept uh, a
0: race. Yeah, you know Gwen Jorgensen. Uh, it, it, on the women's side, she has been so dominant. Phil, what? Well, I think she's up to 10, 10 wins now. ITU. Yeah,
5: she's um, she's emulating the life of Emma Carney, Vanessa, uh, Vanessa Fernandez, of course uh, Emma Snowsill, who you know was one of those dominant athletes. Because she runs like a runner, she doesn't run like a triathlete, and I think that separates her. She can put a minute or more into uh, you know into anybody, and I think that confidence that she has. Is, uh, is showing in her racing. It also plays psychologically on everybody else because they know she's riding in that front pack. If she swims well and she rides in that front pack, then they are not going to win. It's as simple as that. They're just not going to beat her. Uh, and, and psychologically, she has a lot of the uh, the races figured out before she even starts.
0: Well, she's almost taken a, a page out of the Brownlees and Gomez's playbook, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah, she has. I mean, it's a, it's a,
5: she's not as brutal as Alistair Brownlee. The Brownlee boys... Are threatening they race, they race threateningly if I can use that analogy you know they, they dare people to uh, to do things uh, to beat them they, they yell and scream on the bike they get things organised they attack they're very animated whereas you know Jorgensen just knows that if she gets off the bike anywhere near the lead she's going to win she just knows that she was sick in London uh, this weekend just gone and, and she still managed to have the win so For mine, it's it's a different style of racing. It's not as brutal, but it's so effective. And, you know, you look at what the the, uh, Americans are doing with the women. What they decided to do was pick off the collegiate athletes who couldn't quite crack it in their given sports from bike or run. And basically what they decided to do was get them involved and uh, and get them involved in triathlon. What we're seeing is girls like Tomlin, Zaviris, these women are are just red-hot runners as well. So Jordan's is going to
1: have some very, very able lieutenants when she goes out and, uh, and races. Hey uh, G'day, Phil. It's uh, Rupert here, mate. Um, listen, you're saying how the Brownleys you know, yell and scream and all that sort of stuff. I mean, what they're, they're yelling at the other riders and the other triathletes, and, and if so, um, how do the others respond to them? Well, what can you respond when they're going up the road? There's you know, no response to these guys. You know, We spoke to Chris McCormack when
5: he was trying to make the Olympics for London. He gave us the inside word and basically said that these guys were absolutely committed to doing everything they can to win and what they do is when they get out on the course route they just line everybody up and if you're not working they literally tell you to uh to jump off the line and they're very aggressive with how they approach a race and they're not aggressive guys off the bike they're fantastic blokes to talk to and we've interviewed them a few times and they're really good guys they just know when they get into that athletic sphere there's got to be a little bit of swagger about them
1: and, uh, and who would blame them because they're so gifted at swim, bike and run. Is this like uh, sledging in triathlon, is it? Do you know, there's this, well, there's this story, this famous myth that kind of goes through, you know, where,
5: where uh, Jan Fredino, the gold medal winner, got in a breakaway with the Brownleys, and then the Brownleys apparently turned around and just gave him a mouthful because he wasn't doing much work. You know, they've got no uh, time, people who aren't going to help and be committed to their cause to break up the racing and they know it as well. You know, Richard Murray and, and Mola from, from Spain and, and also Gomez, are tough runners, but uh, you know they know if they can get a break early uh, and, and break up the race, the odds of those guys coming through are going to be lower.
0: Yeah, you had a chance to spend some time with the U.S. guys down in Geelong recently, did you not? Yeah, I spent a little bit of time with uh, the U.S.
5: development team and just watched what they did. And uh, We talked about their collegiate careers and we watched them. We went out and actually had a swim with them. Um, which was ridiculous Trying to keep up with those guys was crazy Because they're so quick But we talked about what they were doing And in fact, they, they're basically their mandate Is to just to go around and find the coulda you know, Find the ones who really couldn't get it done At a collegiate level, at the elite end So you know, a lot of these women and, and men Are super, super quick runners But they're never going to be in that top two or three in the, in the American collegiate system So what do they do? They want to go and do something else And they have the opportunity That talk about Craig Mothram a couple of years ago becoming a uh, you know a triathlete because of his monster run leg, you know, and that was that idea that transition athlete was still around. And now what the US guys are doing through guys like Jared Evans, who's an Australian, you know, through those guys are realizing the fact that these are talented people.
0: You know, let's switch gears out of the ITU for a second, that road to Rio. Let's talk a little bit about full distance and half distance. Uh, Challenge Series has been in the news a lot over the last six months, especially with the the whole Triple Crown. Um, That's a bit of an issue around that right now with million dollars on the line, but they've had some issues. Fill us in. Well, the Triple Crown, as we've started to call it, it's uh, it's fallen to
5: pieces a little bit, I think, in terms of, you know, when Challenge decided they'd do this, they started a, a you know a three-race series in the, the Middle Eastern region. Uh, they went to Bahrain, Dubai, Oman, and they would have a million bucks if you can get the uh, the three races done. Well, Bahrain was a huge success. They kept talking about raising the bar. They did. They raised the bar. The, the standard of athlete that was there was phenomenal. They raced it late in the season. So if you'd raced Kona or Hawaiian mean, you'd actually still get your legs right to go and race this one. They put, uh, I think, 80000 80, on the on the nose. If you could get the three done, they'd put a million. Move off Bahrain, which is a great success, to Dubai, which was just a nightmare. Athletes cut the course, went the wrong way. Um, they had this kind of kangaroo court afterwards. It really wasn't decided properly. There was no rules in place. Uh, winners, were, and people were disqualified and lost time penalties, etc. Uh, and so the shine really went off, and, and especially with the coverage too, the coverage which they boasted about so broadly, was shambolic to say at least it was it was a horrible coverage they were calling uh, athletes who were uh, you know second and third as as the leaders of the race they had no clear understanding from the course what was happening uh and everybody spent the day scrambling fast forward to oman which was supposed to happen in august that's now been moved obviously there is some civil unrest around that area given that it borders yemen and there's not a uh, probably not a triathlete in the world who want to go and risk going over there at the moment given the unrest there that's an unfortunate state of affairs but certainly a good move by the Challenge people to move it no announcements been made there no announcements been made after Dubai as to whether who's capable of winning the million dollars and it certainly has lost a lot of the shine that Challenge tried to put onto, uh, onto a race and look I've got to preface that by I guess or I'll, 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 I'll tag on to say well done to the Challenge guys for trying to get something up and trying to get something big and trying to get something exciting but it just
1: hasn't worked. Yeah, it's uh, it's a shame about Oman, isn't it Phil, because it's uh I've been there a couple of times for the tour of Oman cycling and it's got some great roads and the uh, countryside's beautiful, it's got some nice hills. The water's great. Um and the and the actual people, I mean, they've got a real a real culture there, like um unlike when you go to Qatar, I've been to Qatar for example and it's uh you know, I'm not, I haven't got a big rap on Qatar, you know, it's not there's not much there, but you go to Oman and the, and they're uh, it's, it's a real country with real culture, and, and it's a beautiful place. I always thought it would be a great place to go there and have uh, triathlons or, or cycle races, which they already do. Yeah, look, you're right. But they just don't want to run the risk, and mm. they, there's a
5: lot of American athletes going out there. They, don't, they just don't want to have that. And I think that's the right decision. I think if you're unsure about a place anywhere in the world, I think the first duty of care is to those who are going to come to your race, and, uh, you know, they've they felt, the challenge people have felt that it's not... A worthwhile risk they have been uh, You know the, the guys who are back on this You know Are um, You know Not confident about it either A lot of the shine Came off after Dubai With the uh, Apparently You know Talking to a lot of people Who are out there That, that you know Even the people In Dubai Weren't happy with it, it It's just really Fallen on hard times This, And, and They've been Noticeably quiet About it for the last couple of months, and uh, you know that's not the great thing because then the story's written for them. I think they uh, probably needed to come out and actually talk about it being on track and how is it coming on track, and you know, and where is it now? Because at the moment, uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine as to what's going to happen to this triple crown, and more importantly, who's eligible for it? You know, after the Dubai debacle, who actually has the right to uh, to shoot for, for race two and three?
0: Mm-hmm. I absolutely you know phil we could talk yeah. triathlon all day with you mate thanks thanks so much for coming on we hope you come back and, and talk to us again uh for the listeners where can they find you first off the bike <laughs> Yeah, first off the bike.com, and uh, you know,
5: always uh, always love having a chat to you guys. It's, uh, it's nice to see uh, you guys getting something up and about for, uh, for the sport, both two wheels and uh, for our sport
0: triathlon. So, uh, congratulations, guys. It's been fun having a chat. Well, maybe we can, thank you, Phil. Maybe we can get on tripod sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll bring some life back into that one, and uh, yeah, we might do an exchange for sure. Oh, fantastic. Good Thanks, idea, Phil. Phil. Anytime. Cheers. Well, Roop, a lot of good insights from Phil Rogner first off the bike. Yeah, he's always full of views, isn't he? Yeah, and never,
1: he's never been shy about throwing I, his view forward. Is he? No, absolutely. You know, I
0: loved we we actually we really do love talking triathlon. I know we've been uh, we've been out and about at times, especially at one of our local haunts, the the Lord Dudley here in Sydney. And I think people who hang around us are always a bit. Um, taken back by how much we actually do talk about triathlon and not
1: cycling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's, it's I find it a nice change of pace. You know, it's uh, that's why I like competing, well, racing, well, doing triathlons. Absolutely, <laughs> But it's, it's just a nice change of pace from uh, from one sport to the other. But there is a segue there, you know. Is obviously, the bike is what. Absolutely. You
0: know, absolutely. You know, and a lot of people don't realize this about you, but you've you've done ten Ironman. I mean, you're 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 not a rookie to the sport, and and you've actually gone back. We're talking what, 20, 30 years in the sport, and you you actually raced Kona, not once, but twice. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I've been there twice back uh, in 85, and 86, and you know, I got into triathlon from lightweight rowing, so, uh, and what I loved, you know, lightweight rowing, we had to weigh, get on the scales to to be able to race, to get a certain uh, weight, uh, maximum you're allowed, and then obviously weren't able to eat that much, and then someone told me about uh, cycling, is you gotta eat, you gotta eat while you ride, and I thought, gee, Eating while you were actually doing your sport, so I was hooked, and then I did triathlon. so that was that was a, it was a natural sort of change for me.
0: So you, obviously, you just kind of got back into it about three mm. years ago after a bit of a a bit of a break. Yeah. Um, and it, but you, you you went in full like head first because you did what
1: four in about twenty months. Uh, yeah, four and sixteen months. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna I stand do, corrected. It was gonna be five. It was gonna be five, but then. Uh, you know, my shoulder had to have an operation, kept on dislocating it. After the fifth dislocation, I thought I'd better get it fixed, you know.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's put you on hold, but any plans to go back? Yeah, yeah. Look, I'd love to go back
1: uh, this year, at the back end of this year. I think will, maybe Langkawi in November, okay. or maybe go back to Bustleton. Okay. you know, to see how it goes. One or the other,
0: or perhaps
1: both? Well, I was thinking about both, but there's not much time between both, but then... About four weeks, I believe. About four weeks, and... Uh, Like, I have done back-to-backs where there's been six weeks in between. And I know that, you know, I can recover for six weeks. I don't know if for four weeks. I think it could be pressing it, you know, stretching it a bit too far. But we'll see.
0: Well, you know, I know last year, or the last time you raced in Melbourne, uh, the Asia-Pacific Championships back in 2014, you had a bit of a a challenge with one two-time Olympian, Courtney Atkinson, and he gave you a two-hour handicap. That being said, it was his first Ironman. Would have been your
1: 10th. How did that come out? Well, I came out on top, didn't I? Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. No, look, I think, I think I beat him on the handicap by about seven minutes. Yeah, I, I believe think you was. did. I, I believe did. Something like that. But... And I think he retired him from Ironman. I think he's going oh, back to
0: Olympic distance now. I broke him. He's gone yeah. back
1: to the... Uh, <laughs> Going back to the kiddies pool yeah.
0: now. Well, you know the, the funny thing is, I don't know if, if Courtney even knows this, but we actually came up with that idea on the plane coming back from the tour down under, didn't we? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right, that's <laughs> right. It was uh, the, the
0: shenanigans night. to go on yeah, yeah, on yeah. an airplane. We we're plotting his future without him knowing. Absolutely, of course. And, and like we said, Courtney's actually looking. He's he's in the hunt to go for an historic third yeah. Olympics uh, there in Rio. So we wish Courtney out there. What good a luck. story that'll be if yeah, he makes it. You know? Absolutely. I mean, it
1: seems like he's going pretty well at the moment, and. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it just will be one of those great Olympic stories come uh, next year when they announce the team.
0: Absolutely, and Courtney's always, he's a friend of the show, so we want to wish him good luck. Uh, in the meantime, look, we want to, um, let's kick it off to break. Uh, our producer, Andy Brown, take us to commercial.
2: Here we go, guys. <laughs> Copy time. Uh, thanks, guys. <laughs> Love it. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to What A Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Uh, you know, we're going back to cycling where Rube had a chance to, to talk a little bit more than just the Giro, but also looking a, a bit towards the Tour de France and a little bit of the culture of the, the connection between cycling and, and cuisine and travel and lifestyle. Uh, he had a chance to catch up with a very special guest.
1: I'm sitting in Milan or as Italians call it, Milano. But more importantly, sitting with me by my side, just outside the uh, central station, is Gregor Brown, an Italian-based American writer and contributor for Villa News magazine in the, in the US and also Cycling Weekly in Britain. Gregor, thanks for being on What A Ride. And it has been what a ride. It always is when we go on Grand Tours together because we've just finished the Giro d'Italia and next we've got the Tour de France coming up. Tell me, Gregor, how uh,
6: did you get over here? Tell us your story. It's not all about me. (laughs) Thanks, Rupert, for having me. Yeah, no, by airplane. Uh, yeah. But no, uh, I've been living in Italy uh, on Lake Como for the last uh, almost eleven years now, and uh, I just followed my passion. I Had this deep desire to uh, to get over to Europe and to see the roads where the riders raced on. It was through cycling that my my imagination to Europe was opened up because I saw these races like the Age Best on the Age and and uh, the Giro d'Italia, which we just finished. And, and uh, it's all these beautiful places. To an American and probably to Australians, they're just they're extremely different than what you see at home. So I wanted to go. I wanted to go. I wanted to go, and I just I found a way and got a visa. Came over to Italy, and and yeah, now eleven years have passed, and uh, I'm pretty much Italiano. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of picking up on that. Every time we
1: we travel a bit more, I see more. I see you becoming more Italian than American, but. Uh, it's, it, I think it's great. It shows how you sort of embrace the culture and the feel, and it's not just the language; it's everything else that comes with it. Even, should I say, the attire. You, there is a
6: bit of a fashionista in you, isn't there, Gregor? Well, I'm, I'm well looked after by uh, my Italian girlfriend and her family, and I couldn't st- I couldn't take a step wrong if if I tried to, with uh, with their watchful eyes. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's just my way of uh, my way of being. Um, I don't think I put too much effort into it, but uh, it comes across easy. For for me. Tell me, Gregor. Well, you know, like uh, after living here, I mean, you, you've got a feel
1: for where the sport of cycling sits in, uh, in Italian sport. But I guess also there's football as well. And uh, I don't. Is there something in particular about about Italian sport that's different to American sport or to Anglo-Saxon sort of sports that we may be more attuned to in Australia or in Britain?
6: Well, a lot like uh, the Italy itself, uh, it's everywhere you go in Italy, uh, it's divided. Uh, there's different uh, dialects uh, because Italy—it's only been a country for 150 years. Before that, it was all these little different kingdoms and such. And so, Italy is a small country uh, with not that many people, but it has a lot of different sporting teams. In Milan, there's a, there's two big football clubs: uh, Inter, in, in, Inter Milan, international Milan, uh, and then uh, Milan. And uh, and then you have uh, Juventus and Torino. And I believe it also a second Torino team there, where we where we just came from for the start of the last stage today. Uh, so, so like the country itself is divided, and, and even in such a small little country, you have different tifosi, different fans for e- for each team, and, and they're very they're very supportive of those teams. Cycling is down and probably on the on the third tier after football and, and motorsports with uh, with especially MotoGP, not so much uh, Formula One anymore without uh, Schumacher at, at Ferrari. Uh... As we've been seeing on the roads of the Giro d'Italia, it, it is followed. And just this morning, uh, uh, or at the Giro d'Italia, there is you, you see fans outside outside the team buses and, and uh, cl- climbing up on fences, uh, standing on, on on their children to get a better view of you know the the paddock area of, of the team bus, as it were, to see their their fans, have the Fabio Arruz, the Politeer Longos, and then the foreigners like uh, Alberto Contador and even Richie Port when he was still at the race. Mm-hmm.
1: Tell us, with 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 you mentioned Fabio Aru and, and he came into the Giro with a lot of expectation to, to win it. I guess at the end of the day he's got two fabulous stage wins and second overall which um, a lot of people may not have thought he would be uh, he, he would achieve uh, not, just a few days ago. Um, how much pressure is on, on an Italian rider, a young guy like him? Um, I guess Vincenzo Nibali, he's, he's sort of, he's a bit older and he's sort of embraced that role now, but is that, for, for someone like um, uh, Aru, how hard is that
6: uh, he, he he says he's playing it he's playing it pretty easily that the pressure's come gradually last year he came to the Giro d'Italia and had a third place and and that third that third place he wasn't he wasn't a leader of the team they they came to the Giro last year just to see what he could do this year and ever since this last winter the, the Astana has programmed the Giro d'Italia around Fabio Aru and Vincenzo Nibali to the uh, Tour de France uh, but he's he's gradually dealt with it, he's been a, he's been a cyclist all of his life from Sardinia, then winning uh, big amateur stage races like the, the Giro della Valdosta twice, and then uh, finishing second in the the baby Giro behind the American Joe Dombrowski in the, in, in the baby Giro's last edition. So he he's gradually gotten used to that pressure, I believe. Uh, but from the outside, uh, Fabio Ru seems like a much more uh, fragile person than uh, Vincenzo Nibali he seems. Uh, very very much more emotional, prone to cry a lot more than, than uh, Vincenzo Nibali uh, I, I didn't recall Vincenzo Nibali crying as much or maybe even crying at all, I don't recall when he won the 2013 Giro d'Italia or won the Tour de France last year uh, where, where Aru seems much more emotional and, and maybe that also, what um, played in him not doing so well in the Giro d'Italia to start off with? Mm-hmm. So, so maybe uh, you know a lot of how he came good at the back end of the Giro was he, he managed to get a sort of get a grip on, on it all. I think that was probably more in strength at the end, and the, and the bit on the front was more in emotion, mm-hmm. because he came into this Giro after a five-day stop due to a stomach virus, and uh, and he, I don't think he was up to it, and he probably worked himself into a little bit of form while he was here, but the first part of the Giro I think, was on emotions, and the team wanted to go out and stamp its authority on the race, which it did and it has done the whole three weeks. Uh, so had he not had the physical capabilities to back that up, he could have paid and paid dearly for that. And even when we saw in, uh, the Mortarolo when he was struggling, I mean he struggled, but but he, he limited his losses. What we say in cycling, he limited his limited. He limited his losses to something like two and a half minutes, mm-hmm. where I think he said the next day he could have he could have easily lost like 20 minutes. Yeah. And his uh, team manager Giuseppe Martinelli, who, who who guided other many other riders to Grand Tour wins, uh, said that that day he, he showed that he's a he's a Grand Tour. He has that Grand Tour potential to win a Grand Tour.
1: The um, uh, Vincenzo Nibali, you you know quite well. Um, I was wondering, you know, we're we going to see a lot more of him in, in July, when hopefully the big four are going to be up against each other in the Tour de France: uh, Nibali, Alberto Contador, Quintana. Quintana, and Chris Froome. It's really a real heavyweight division of uh, of boxing, even though they're not heavyweights in a uh, literal sense. Um, tell us a little bit about Vincenzo and, uh, and 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 what's he like as a person, and, and I think you know, last year's tour we saw, you know,
6: uh, we saw a bit of what how tough this guy is but maybe a lot of people don't know what's interesting with both Vincenzo and Aru you have to remember is that they both come from Italy's big islands Aru from Sardinia uh, Vincenzo from Sicily and and Vincenzo, being from the south, like like all good Southerners, are, are traditionally open and friendly, and he, and he is that. He's giving with this time, and open and friendly. And he, obviously, he's had to shut off a little bit with along with stardom uh, that's come with his his win. But that's mostly at home in Italy. Abroad, uh, and to, with us foreign journalists, he's, he's still pretty open. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, he's, uh, he just came back from altitude camp, I think, uh, not yesterday, but the day before. And, uh, yeah, he's going on to the Dauphiné for the Tour de France. Well, it's
1: going to be exciting to see... How he uh, backs up, well, how he does, uh, not back up, how he does front up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, it's his defense. Yeah. It's, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, obviously it is his defense, so, I
6: mean, uh, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, he seems to not care. That, that that's, the, that's the trait with Nibali that everybody's talks about. The, he's able to switch off as soon as the stage ends and relax. They were talking about that when he rode with Niki Gaskanandale, and they talk about that at Astana. He's able to switch off. After a stage, he can fall asleep uh, right away while the team's still driving to the hotel, or. Even before stage, he can sleep up to the last minute, and he, and he, he's able to just deflect the pressure. Uh, so that's that's his trait, and he seems to not care so much about if he can back up his title or not. And he doesn't seem to care or not whether people think his, his title last year was just given to him on a silver platter when Contador and uh, Froome had to abandon due to their crashes. Uh, honestly, though, I think he's going to have a very, very hard time against um, against Quintana, especially Quintana and, against, uh, and um, Contador and, and Froome this year.
1: Um, just going back to Italy, I mean, you know the country well, you know the people well, the history... Of food. You now, just a bit of a traveler's tip. How how the hell do you travel around Italy without Stacking the kilos on.
6: I mean, I, I run every day and I still get fat. Yeah, you don't you don't see the, the your creamy uh, bow tie or farfalle pasta with uh, with uh, salmon in, in Italy. They, a lot of their place have olive oil. Uh, they're, they're pretty healthy. Even their salads are, are usually pretty healthy without many many creamy dressings like what we have in the United States on top of them. So every step in the process is is it's natural to them. They're not thinking about it, but they, they do eat pretty healthy. Although, yes, we we do eat a lot of pasta. Even at home, I have two plates of pasta a day, and I try not to. However, yeah, I mean, we're here outside the uh, uh, Stazione Centrale, the, the central station, and, and and there's a McDonald's around the corner, and, and fast food is becoming more popular in Italy. There's still not a Starbucks in in Italy, thank, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that Italians, uh, I don't know, I, they, uh, I guess it's just that that healthy healthy food, it, it seems like unhealthy, but it is, it's mostly healthy. Uh, yeah. I've, I noticed,
1: uh, you know, wherever we travel every night you take a photo of of your dinner or lunch I notice you don't take photos of breakfast but um, what's the reason behind that and and
6: do you go back over those photos and try and um, uh, sort of study them again Uh, that's basically because I have a bad memory and I like to remember what I've been eating and uh, where I've been along the way Um, yeah and also because I'm on TripAdvisor quite a bit too and so sometimes I'll post ratings although when I'm traveling for work usually I do not Yes, that's why I take the photos. It's a journalist in me to record and uh, observe and uh, take notes. Yeah. Well, just as we're speaking now, we've uh, our lunch has just been served. What are we having for lunch? The, the piadina, which is from uh, Mili Romana, where uh, the, the area where Marco Pintani came from, and his parents owned a piadina stand. And they're made a little bit differently in, in uh, Mili Romana. Thicker thicker uh, piadinas. Where a piadina looks like a, tortille, a tortilla. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just easy. It's folded. It's like a sandwich on a tortilla or a piadina instead of bread, so it's easier to get down. It doesn't doesn't bloat you as much which you know we're thinking about as uh, as journalists you know when we travel three weeks on, on that year to Italy well uh, i 'm pretty hungry. I know you are Gregor. we 've had a good long
1: drive and oh um, well, you 've had a good long drive I've, i 've had a little snooze in the car, but um, it 's been great uh, traveling you with and talking traveling with you as always and also talking with you we're on the run different countries different advances, uh, much for your insighting on what water rock thanks and thanks for water road
0: Route <laughs> fantastic
1: interview with Gregor Brown that was um,
0: it, it, you really the, the, it really kind of hits home the dynamic of just how big cycling is and Really, what it brings to the table in terms of of not just racing as a professional sport, but but at the culture.
1: Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, uh, you know, I've known Gregor for a long time now, and we actually, you know, we, we, we travel together at the, at the Grand Tours, the Giro and the Tour. So uh, I've known him for a while. I know his good and bad habits, and uh, it was just nice to be able to present uh, some of Gregor Brown to everybody.
0: Well, as a fellow American, I, he's got to be a good egg. <laughs> you, would yeah. you would say that. You would say that. Well, Rube, that'll do it for this episode of What A Ride. Mate, always great to see you.
1: Oh, it was great. You know, it was a great start to the show. I was really excited about what we're doing and uh, and the people we've had on board for the first episode. I think, uh, you know, they've really provided us with some interesting insights and a, some recourse with some friendly banter. And... Uh, you know, good times to come, I think.
0: Absolutely. We want to say special thanks to some of the people that are on the show today. Obviously, The Velaroos and Julianne Hazlitt, uh, and we wish them good luck. Obviously, go to their website, uh, uh to get more information on them. We want to thank uh, Maddie White, Gregor Brown, Phil Rockner, and of course, we want to thank our, our producer, Australian Broadcast Media, uh, Andy Brown, for for you know bringing this to life. Exactly. Where would we be? With Please that, Andy. <laughs> Absolutely. Until next time, keep Your it rubber side
2: post.
7: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Until then, keep it rubber side down and remember a meter matters. We'll catch you next time on What a Rod.